We are fortunate we're continuing our series about the Holy Spirit. The title of our entire series is God's Spirit, Our Advantage for His Advancement. I didn't put that title together. Uh, Peter got it somewhere, I believe, and it's a wonderful title. Uh, God's Spirit, Our Advantage for His Advancement. And that is what it's all about. That's what we're going to hit a big part of that today. Our series moves from John. We are now moving into Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. So if you want to use one of the Bibles with you, page 909 will kick us off. Verses 1 through 11. And Acts is a wonderful, wonderful story of what God's Spirit does in this life. But you know, some of this was hit last week. You know, when, when you know that you might have some, a chance to share a few things you know, it's a wonderful way that the Spirit touches you personally. So last week a song was sung, you know, I Surrender All. And I had to go home and Google it and find the lyrics because it was going through my mind all week. Let me just tell you a few of the phrases I highlighted here. I got all four stanzas, but I'm going to only read you the parts that really, really have been hitting me all week. You know, all to Jesus I surrender. In his presence, daily live. Uh, he's even going through some of these things. Well, Jesus is not physically here, so how does that happen? How do we do that? How do we live daily in his presence? In the third stanza, let me feel the Holy Spirit to truly know that thou art mine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit that truly know that thou art mine. And the last verse, fill me, fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. You know, the words that are in there, that was written over 100 years ago. And when you write things in the 1800s and they apply, like right now, that is the pleading of our hearts. Lord, let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Let thy power fill me for my advantage, if you will, so for God's advancement. So how does this all work? What happens? Well, we're fortunate. We have a really, really good writer, Dr. Luke you know, wrote Luke chapter 1, or if you will, his first book, Luke 1. Acts could be called Luke version 2. So we're going to be in Acts, Luke version 2. Dr. Luke is a great recorder of history. He's a great recorder of detail that helps us understand what we need to know. In the book of Luke, he basically writes history up until the time of Christ's ascension. Everything that happened in, in Christ's life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his empowerment of his disciples, and then when he leaves, the book ends with him leaving. And book two, basically, he, he, he recaps just a bit. He gives just like a teacher's recap, and then it says, from the time of Christ leaving, on. What happens next? Version two. So, so read with me a bit. And as you are looking up in Acts chapter 1, I want to remind you of a thought that hit me hard this week. Christianity is not about philosophy. It is about history. The history of Jesus. We do not believe in a philosophy, a way of life. We believe in a person, Jesus Christ, a historical figure who changed the world and is still changing the world. Acts chapter 1, follow along with me. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands 
through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He starts right in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Because he led it this way, because he's recapping a bit, I think it's important for us to turn left, go left, just go back. You're going to run into John. If you keep going, you're going to go into Luke. So let's just go to the end of Luke and what he was saying. How did he finish? What was he alluding to here? Go chapter 24. It's the last chapter. We'll start at the last verses, starting in verse 44. He is recording what Jesus was saying to his disciples in the very, very end. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Verse 49 is very key for us. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You are witnesses of these things in 48 and 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. What is the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father was the Holy Spirit. I am going to send the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, to you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in Jerusalem. Stay in the city until you receive the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now you have some knowledge. Now you have some information. Now you have some desire. But what we are still missing is the empowerment, God's power. Jesus had it. The disciples had some information. They were weak men at best, right? They had, up until this time, they had showed themselves a rat-tag group that just ran away, fled any time there was a problem. So stay in the city until you receive the power. If we go back to Acts chapter 1, and we walk through, we see that he is basically recapping a bit for us, and he's hitting what is the most important of points In the beginning, in verse 1, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now that phrase there, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, we need to take some time and unpack it. 
This is one of our key points, that Jesus himself was working through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was the God-man. He was divine and he was human. In his humanity, Jesus had effectively set aside his deity. He had humbled himself to become a man, to be subject to frailty, to be subject to hunger, to be subject to pain, to be subject to emotion, to be subject to temptation. Jesus, in his humanity, lived and breathed this perfect life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit was what accomplished Jesus' perfection. He lived this example humanly for us so that we could see how it was done. When we sometimes get the command to live like that, to live the life that Jesus lived, we're like, but you're God. You're God. Of course you can do it. He said, no, no, no. I came to be in the flesh. And I lived in the flesh. And so here, when he was saying that even the commands that he gave, he gave them through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we need a little bit more proof to see what was happening in Jesus' life through the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to one of the other disciples, Matthew. Let's look at what the role the Holy Spirit had in Jesus' life. Let's just start right with his birth and Mary. Chapter 1, this is now, if you keep going left, you're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke. So go back to, and you're going to be in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, the start of the Second Testament, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from who? From the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus' conception, his humanity is coming from the Holy Spirit. We go forward just a little bit in chapter 3, records for us Matthew, the baptism of Jesus. It's a pretty wonderful section as well, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John, this is John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And just to to finish this theme, look in the first verse of chapter 4. Remember the temptation of Jesus when Jesus was going to go out and be tempted? How did he get there? What led him there? Verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus himself was led by the Spirit. The Spirit came and rested on him. When he came up, the Father's power 
the Holy Spirit came down, one God in three persons, Jesus received the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was leading him because he was living this life in his humanity. This is a lot for us to grasp, but the whole thing pulls together here that Jesus was living life also by the power of the Spirit. And when he was giving us an example, he's giving us a powerful example for how he is supposed to live. I want to continue us on in Acts. This, we will unpack this point. It'll hit us on our second main point in just a bit. In Acts chapter 1, we continue on. I want to hit it just briefly, verse by verse. So he's doing this through the Holy Spirit. So I have this big circle around that now. So the next time I go through Acts 1, and if you want to be a student of the Word, I would do it, so that we realize that how was Jesus doing this? He was doing it through the Holy Spirit, not separate and distinct, separate and distinct and together. Whom he had chosen, and now in verse 3, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is just tying in together the power of the story of the good news that we have. So here's some just detail and knowledge. Jesus had presented himself physically alive to these disciples. They have a story to tell because the prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. And Jesus actually, Dr. Luke's the only one who records it here. For 40 days, they saw him, they witnessed him alive. And he told them what was going on in his life. He showed themselves to him. So now they have, they have a information and they have plenty of information. It hit me hard, Brad. I don't think you mind me saying in our nine o'clock group, uh, Brad shared publicly there, and it hit me hard as we were listening. So, you know, God blesses us in these extra Bible study times we have, um, how it all works together. Brad said he realized when he was in seminary, and Brad, you can correct me, and I'll, you know, I got the mic, you can share to me, and I'll share to them if I get this wrong. Brad said he was, when he was in seminary, he was planning to get all these uh, extra degrees in Bible and in God and in knowledge and theology, and he was going through it. He said, he was, I was going through all this, and I was really getting all this information, and it was really all about me. I wanted to know all I could and be all that I could be and all about me. And when God basically touched his heart and said, you don't need all that, you need to follow me. He ended up obviously getting some degrees, but it was a following me. And I was thinking here, they have all the information. Jesus had spent 40 days with them, but what was his command? I've gave you all this information, and this information is helpful. We need to talk accurately about the Lord. We need information, but information on its own is dead. We'll do nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, information is holy and powerful. Without it, it is dead. We have to have it in the right order and in the right place and in its power. So we do not want to be without information, but for sure, for sure, we do not want to be without the Holy Spirit. So he gives them this information and he moves them on. He's during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Gave him two things. That kind of a strong word, right? And he ordered them. You know, and, you know, if Jesus ordered you, I got a little smiley face next to that. I was like, you might just want to you know, sit down. If Jesus says, uh, wait and stay here, it wouldn't be wise to say, I'm just going to go just, just for the weekend. I'll, I'll be back. You know, Jesus gave them a very, very strong statement. I don't think Dr. Luke was wor- uh, kind of loose with his words. He ordered them 
not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He is telling them that they don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit yet. He wants them to be in Jerusalem. We might see that. I think there's a few reasons for that. But I think the bigger point here is that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. A believer, a Christian, let's say if you give me chances with the words here, we use words and sometimes they're semantics. A child of God is one who is born again. Born again, by definition, means to be born of the Spirit. We cannot just say that we want to be believers in God. We believe certain information about him. We might even believe that it is true. That doesn't do it for us. It must be that we are his children. And to be his child, he always indwells those that are his. This question was asked by Nicodemus. All we have to go left is one book, John chapter 3. Nicodemus asked this exact question, and Jesus answered it very, very well, that it is prudent for us to take a look. This is an important point, and we have to grasp it, and we have to live on it. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. A Christian is not somebody who understands. It is not somebody who generally agrees. It is not somebody who even believes it is true. It is somebody who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who has been born again, not of flesh, but by the Spirit. It all comes down to the Spirit. The triune God, God has ordained it. Jesus Christ had procured it in the Holy Spirit is what brings it home in our lives. And it is what brings the power. We have no ability on our own without the Spirit. You know the times where we feel like things are hard? When we feel like it's just way too hard? I don't want to say emphatically every time because there might be some side points here that we don't have time to get into. But often that is because we are trying to do things ourselves. There are times many of us can point back to when we were trying to earn our salvation. Right? We, were, we had a beautiful study about it at 9 o'clock this morning. When we are trying to work our way, give me the law, show me what is right, I will do everything that I can, and I will do it harder and harder, and I'm failing and more and harder. Like, why is this so hard? 
because we're trying to do it by our own ability, which doesn't exist, cannot be done. It is beyond hard. It is impossible. But with the Holy Spirit, it is very possible and actually quite easy. So that kind of shifts gears for us. Here, the first section was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Gave us a heading of it, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Shifts gears here into the ascension. And he drives us home here. So we've had our first key point. Key point was, number one, that Jesus himself was living his life powerfully by the Holy Spirit. His humanity was being driven by the divine power of the Spirit. And so now, here they are, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Question I have here is, Jesus is now resurrected and he is looking to start his church. We're going to see that in a bit. And it's very interesting. So if we stop right here and said, all right, the promise of the Holy Spirit, we seem to go forward here. How would Jesus start his church? I would not have answered by leaving. I would, I would not have said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get this whole thing going. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to leave. That seems counterintuitive. It seems a little less than helpful. But if we want to read, go back through John. John's got some great passage that says, no, it is good for you that I leave. If I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. If I go, the Holy Spirit will come. And instead of having you with me bodily, what each one has to just see me and only those that are talking to me get to hear me, the Holy Spirit will come and he will transcend into everyone at every time and in every place with full power. You will get to experience the power that I've been living through. You will get to receive it. You will not just get to observe it in me, and admire it, but you will get to live it. So there, so he's confused a little. We're gonna just we we got a you know, you know, Luke left it for us here. You know, these verses, I, we got to hit them, you know, even though maybe they have just sub points. Verses six and seven. They asked them, you know, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Yeah, they're like. We, we want to have the authority. You know, you've resurrected, you showed your power. You're going to show the Romans now, right? right? We're, going to, we're going to take charge just like we did with the Babylonians and just like we did with the Persians. It's our time now. We've been waiting. Let's show the power of Yahweh. Let's go. He said, listen, it's, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. He was implying to them they, weren't, they didn't know yet. 
Next week, next week at Pentecost, they're going to, chapter two, they're going to really get the full vision. You start to get the full vision, but he's saying to them, no, no, there's this little gap period. This is not what you need to pay attention to. It's not for you to know the times or seasons, but he shifts right into them. And if you want to say what's a key verse, this, this is one of the life verses. This is absolutely a key verse for all of Acts. It's a key verse for all the New Testament, and therefore it's a key verse for our life. Verse eight. Hey, Jesus, I want to know this. When are you going to restore this and fix this and fix this problem? Because we're annoyed. They got authority over us and we should be in charge. He says, don't worry about that right now. By the way, he didn't say I'm not going to fix that, right? He said, I'm going to fix that. You just don't need to worry about when and how. I will fix that. But he said this, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Two major promises, right? First, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. I don't know about you, but that to me is unbelievably encouraging. If you're a disciple, if you are wanting, Lord Jesus, I want to be used of you. I want to live for you. He doesn't go with, well, let me see what kind of strengths. I, I can't recall how many gifts I gave you and how many strengths and how much you know, discipline. Ooh, you don't have a lot of willpower. This is not going to go well for you. You're going to run out of steam by Tuesday. Right? He says, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And you will thereby receive power. And then he just flows naturally. And you will be my witnesses. You will be. Now, there's a chance, you know, depending on, you know, how things go for you, how much effort you, you will be my witnesses. God has got a plan and God's got the power to bring out that plan, even through broken down vessels like us. So this ragtag group at this time, right? Would anybody have bet on this ragtag group of broken down disciples that fled and ran away at everything? Fast forward now 2,000 years. We have the, we, we're allowed to do this, right? We, we're living in 2,000 years in advance. We're allowed to have a little fun with this. You know, did they succeed? This ragtag little group, millions, arguably billions in every generation and every people, tribe, tongue, and nation, amen, know Jesus Christ because of this promise. You will become a changed people. What you couldn't do, you're going to do. You could never have been my witnesses, but now you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. He does this, you know, in this, to me now, this is the idea that we have this witness. It is the promise of mission. Jesus Christ came down on a mission. His mission was to save the world from sin. To tell the world that he loves them, that their broken relationship, our broken relationship, can be restored by his grace. By him taking on our pain, our suffering, our sin, and transplanting it with his righteousness. He would come to conquer sin, and he would come to conquer death. He would conquer our enemy, and restore a broken relationship. He's on a mission. And now he was saying to those that have seen him do this, 
it is now, you are now a part of my mission. So I said, how would he do this? You know, how would he start a church? How would he get it going? And we said, by leaving? Because he had a grander plan. He goes, I did this. I accomplished this in my humanity. I put on flesh and have conquered sin and death in my humanity through the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what my plan is now? I'm going to take all of you, humanity, who are willing to believe in me, who are on my mission with me, and I'm going to do the same thing through you. How cool is that? Could he have done it without us? (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't seem to be a wise choice to do it through us. Think about the power of God that takes that ragtag group and it empowers them to have victory to live a life that is miraculous and that a church can be sitting here in Akron, Ohio and there's churches all over this country and all over this world 2,000 years later because God said, I want to do it through you. We get the privilege of being on the mission with him. And how do you do it? I don't think it's by accident that he said in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the end of the earth, maybe Jerusalem, just a little th- you know, thoughts, you know, if you like to think about these things, I do. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the site of where Jesus himself was persecuted, beaten. Maybe Satan thought he had his victory, and where he also was resurrected, and where he's saying the spirit is going to start right at the center of the struggle. Right where I was persecuted, right where I was beaten down, this is where we're going to start. The Holy Spirit is going to start right in Jerusalem. And how does that apply for us? Do we have to say, you know what, Lord, I want to work for you. What is he telling the disciples? All right, we're, going to, we're ready to go. He goes, first thing to go, stay. First thing that you need to go, right here. Many times we go, man, Lord, I wish I could tell somebody about, uh, you know, the Lord. And our neighbor says, hi. And we said, hi. Lord, I wish I could work for you. I wish there was somebody anywhere, somebody that I could talk to. How are you doing today, Stan? I'm good, I'm good. Hey, leave me alone. I'm talking to praying to the Lord here, you know. Locally, we are not in our neighborhoods. We are not in our schools. We are not in our jobs by accident. Of course, we have chosen it. Of course, we have made decisions to get us there. But God has allowed it. And he was like, whatever choices you made, I'm good with them. If I wasn't good with them, you wouldn't be there. I'm good with those choices because that's part of my plan. Let's work it. Jerusalem. And he goes, but God thinks big. He's telling them right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. We're going to go past your neighborhood. We're going to go past your street. We're going to go past Summit County. We are going to hit locally. We're going to get it all. And then we're going to go to Judea. We're going to go to the greater region. We're going to go to all of Ohio. All of Ohio is going to start from Jerusalem. It's going to start right from here, right from this place. With this little group, we're going to go out. And then he kind of, he's kind of getting exciting, and then he throws a little wrench in. He goes, then we're going to go to Samaria. They're like, we do not like the Samaritans. (laughs) We are going to skip the Samaritans. We never even walk through where the Samaritans are. We walk around. I mean, you have read the Old Testament? We walk around. These are our bad blood half-cousins that we are not interested in. We will evangelize everybody but the Samaritans. Everybody but Pittsburgh and everybody but Michigan. Yeah, we're good with everything else. He says, the Samaritans. 
We are going to go and share the gospel to the Samaritans because these are my children and these are my people and they're going to come to faith. And then from there, we're going to go to the end of the earth. They didn't even know what the end of the earth was. They didn't know about Akron. They didn't know about the United States. We're living a little different time and place. We're not discovering countries now. But we are discovering people come and live 50, 60, 70 years, 20 years. Doesn't mean we have all the time in the world. We don't. This was the mission that they were given. That they are going to be on this mission. And they are going to leave it and go for Jesus Christ. You want to have key point number two. I wrote it down in my notes. You might want to write it down. Unless you got a world class memory. Jesus' life is not just to be admired. It is to be experienced. Jesus' life is not just to be admired. It is to be experienced. He literally gave us a life that says, follow me. Live the way I lived. Live through the Spirit. Wait for the Spirit to come and then go. We only have one mission. We can accomplish it through Jesus, his Spirit. We can live the life of Jesus one way to say it is through the power of Jesus. We can live the life of Jesus through the power of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. We've said it many times here, what God calls us to do, he equips us to do. That's part of the good news because this is sometimes challenging, right? This call, how many of you at times, you don't need to raise your hands, feel ill-equipped, non-capable, knowing all the junk that's in our hearts and we go, Lord, you're going to have to use the one next to me. You're going to have to use the person next to me. What he calls us to do, he equips us to do. He's called us to change the world. He's called us to go forward. So what is his mission? Yeah, I think you know it, but I always say it again. What is his mission? It is to tell everyone that Jesus is God, that he loves them, and he can repair what's broken and missing in their heart and create relationship and give them eternal life forever. That is his mission. He's got one mission, one task, and that is what he has asked us to do. Sometimes, I think this is a little time for application. Sometimes we get this turned around, right? Sometimes we have our own mission. And if this hits you, you know, take it as the conviction of the Spirit, it hits me very, very hard. So the things I share with you, I share with you out of my own failures and out of my own convictions of the Spirit. We turn this around a lot. We say, I'm going to live for Jesus, and I'm going to use Jesus and all that he can do to make sure I have a better marriage, a better job, better school, better relationships, better children, better health, better, better, better. God is in all those things. He wants us to have good things. But that is not what he's about. He is about changing the world, bringing the gospel to everyone, taking it to the end of the earth, and he's asking us to do it with him. Lakeside Church exists. The church is therefore the universal gathering of all people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit everywhere and in every place. Amen? 
Amen. There is a local congregations that gather together so we can have things like small groups, so we can have things like sermons, so we can have things like prayer time, so we can have things like Lakeside 101, so we can put things together and we can help each other and encourage one another on the path and study scripture together and be in a certain locale. And God puts all of those pieces together all over so that dollars can be raised and everything can be done to further his mission. I'm not saying we do it perfectly, but I can tell you the conversations that happen with the elders and all the things that happen to all the different leaders throughout the church are everything we do is for this mission. The reason we put an information center out there is to get better information out there. The reason we're having streaming on the, uh, on the on morning worship service is that so if somebody can't be here, if somebody's uncomfortable coming to church, they could listen on the internet. There's a reason we have small groups. The reasons we do everything, LCC, to love God, to tell him thank you for saving us, and now to care for all people and to communicate his word. There's a vision behind it, and the vision is one vision. It's not our vision. It is God's vision to tell the world about Jesus Christ and to do everything in our power in every way that we can to honor him and to fulfill his mission. It is not just to make our lives better. Hey, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit so that I can just have a better marriage and a better home and a better yard and a better job and a better everything else. It is that our lives are spent with him sharing the gospel to a lost and dying world. And that's where Satan wants to hit us now with big thoughts. Thank you. You know, just got to go about my day. It's harder now. It's more difficult. Well, think about this early church. When they had to go out, Was everybody just irreligious? Nobody had any religion. Nobody had any thoughts. Nobody had any ideas. No. Everybody they went to already had a religion, had a false god, had an area. And was it well received? Did they all, you know, know, Paul, we can read about Paul through Acts. Got beaten up, persecuted, destroyed, jail, prison. We're like, yeah, but, you know, nowadays you got to be careful. It's, you know, it might be hate speech. It might be this. I don't, you know, I can't really say. you, you, You can't be, you can't say so much. It was the same back then. Telling people that they don't have the right God if they don't know Jesus Christ, they are following a false God that will lead them to eternal hell and damnation, separation from God, is never something that most people want to hear initially. But if it is resonating in their heart that they know that something's wrong, they have, they've been trying, 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 and you present them with the gospel that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, it's a message that has never been well received, but it's a message that is changing the world. Maybe a little last bit of application. I'm speaking more generically to you in the next couple minutes. Think about the people that you have met, that when you meet them, when you spend time with them, the words that are in my head are, bowl you over with the Spirit. The people that you meet that just overwhelm you with their love, overwhelm you with their grace, overwhelm you with the peace that's in them, overwhelm you with their sense of abiding and having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Many times, even using the words, you know, the Spirit and I, you're like, whoa, hey, you're not comfortable with that. Think about the people. I can physically picture people. I can put faces, some in this very room, that when I come in contact with them, I feel God. Lord, help me feel your Holy Spirit. And there's sometimes in my life where I'm walking around and they might feel, somebody else might feel something else for me. 
We can quench the spirit. God has pulled us in. He's put us in there. But we can make choices that we are constantly focusing on us and the other things around us and not developing an intimate, living, breathing, dynamic relationship with God Almighty through the Holy Spirit. When we live and walk with the Holy Spirit, the world will take notice and the world will be changed. If you ever feel like your life is a little boring, could use a little bit of your spice, Start telling people about Jesus. You know, start spending time in the word. Asking like Kayla did in her prayer, Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do at Millersburg. I can't wait to do. That's kind of, we might think those are just words. I take them as, that takes some guts because you're putting things out there saying, I'm expecting God to do something. I'm expecting God to do something. I'm excited to be on the mission with him at Millersburg specifically. And I can't wait to tell you what he's going to do. So do we think Caleb's going to come back, you know, 90 days from now and go, nothing happened, nothing, nothing at all, nothing happened. You know what? That is a story for someone who's not expecting something dynamic, who's not expecting to be in prayer, who's not expecting to talk about Jesus Christ. We could hear about the police came, they tried to shut down a Millersburg camp and people were praying. All kind of, that's the kind of life that happens when we're on a mission with God. So if our lives are a little bit uh, lacking in some intensity, we don't have to look very far. I said maybe we're a little off on our mission. But what was the good news at the beginning? You will be my witnesses. When we get a little off, we're not lost. What does God do? It's just a little spanking. Because it gets us right back in. Take heart. It's not that we're lost. It's just we're going to get, you know, you might get just a little spanking. Get us back in line. Because he says, you will be my witnesses to his honor, to his glory, forever and ever. Amen, right? Let's pray. Father God, we know that we need you. We know that you are everything that we need. We know, Lord, that we need your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, for a fresh, a clear vision of living life in your spirit. We want to live life, Lord, the way you lived. We want to take it seriously to understand that you live victoriously through the Spirit. You left us a vision. And Lord, the phrase that is hitting me very hard is not to just admire your life, but I want to experience it. Lord, help us here at Lakeside to honor you by living a life that you lived, walking in the Spirit, changing lives for your honor and for your glory and for your namesake. Lord, we pray for nothing less in your resurrected name. Amen.